Hey guys, welcome to this interview with Andy Judd. Uh, Andy is a Bible professor over at Ridley. Um, he preaches part-time over at City on the Hill. I reckon he's probably my favorite preacher. You're not really supposed to have favorites. Um, but one thing I love about him is he takes these really deep and lofty theological concepts and brings them down from heaven to earth. He makes them very um, simple and understandable and relatable. And um, I've, I've benefited from his teaching and his wisdom and very thankful for him. I think one of the things that I find funny and beautiful about the church, though, is, um, you know, if you would see the two of us walking down the street, you've got this highbrow intellectual uh, with glasses quite well to do. And then you've got me this rat bag with a beard, um, punk skate rat dude. And um, but when we connect on aspects of the faith or when we talk about life, uh, there's this beauty and this synergy um, that our souls are connecting. And I'm so thankful for him as a friend. And uh, I hope you guys glean from some of his wisdom in this interview. Bless you guys. Peace. There he is. Hey, Dom. Hey, fella. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. How are you? Good, brother. I wanted to give you the heads up. I'm recording right now. So That's um, great. in light of that, yeah, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a snapshot, but basically there's two rules to this, unedited, unscripted. Um, so in light of that, at any point in time, you can opt out. You can be like, no, mate, just pass. Um, and then secondarily to that, if we get stuck, you're in a lull, or you just want to know something about me, you can flip the interview on me. You can flip it on its head. Okay. That seems cool. fair. Awesome. How's your night tonight, brother? You doing okay? I'm doing really well. I, um, I've been watching Doomsday Preppers with my wife. Um, okay. And uh, we can talk about that if you want. But, I, um, yeah, it's, it's a good night when I've, I'm having a beer and, and watching some trashy TV. Yeah, fair enough, mate. What is, um, yeah, I got a vino over here, so I'm enjoying myself as well. Um, Very good. Yeah. <laughs> What's your beer of choice? What do you enjoy? Uh, tonight I'm drinking the White Rabbit Dark Ale, which was a gift sent down by my um, father uh, from Sydney who um, thought that locked in a house with two small children, we probably needed a nice dark ale this time of year. So that's my vino of choice. Fair enough. When we get to, uh, I'd love to talk about being locked in with two small children, but for starters, um, maybe I'll just stay on the beer question one more time. Uh, you're on death row and you get one beer. You get one drink, one drink of choice. What are you going out with? Uh, I think um, a really big chocolate stout. I don't know. Uh, I don't mind what brand, but a chocolate stout because you know what are you what are you trying to prove at that point? You just you know, <laughs> I think that's going to make you feel happy and taste really good. That's it. The darker yeah. the better, I think, for that kind of uh, or for any kind of. Uh, I don't. I actually don't go in much, Dom, for um, your. Your, your pilsners or your, your light beers. I just think if, if you want if you want to drink water, drink water. Um, and if you want to have something with flavor, have something with flavor. So that's, there you uh, go. that's the end of the spectrum I'm at. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'd rather go the really dark ale, the porters, the stouts, all that, or I'll, I'll go on the other side. I'll go completely clean and completely flipped, but everything in the middle, I'm a bit out of that loop. But, yeah, you know. Good. Teach Thera. Um, two small children locked in a house. I've got one small child locked in a house. Um, what are you experiencing in COVID land, man? What, what's your reality? Um, what are you learning or, or what are you struggling with through this time? Yeah, sure. Um, I, th I think my, my life is very dependent on what um, my son is struggling with. So um, he, 
as a proportion of his life, this is a lot of his life. And we've taken away pretty much all the fun things, not all the fun things, but a lot of the fun things that he likes to do. Yeah. So um, we can't go on the play equipment anymore. We can't go to daycare anymore. We can't go to church anymore. He yeah. can't see his friends anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm learning that we, we deal with grief in um, not too dissimilar ways to a three-year-old, actually. Like we just get angry for reasons that we don't really understand yes. um, at, at strange points. Um, but, but also there's some beautiful things. So I'm enjoying being at home a little bit more. My work is very at homeable, which is a great blessing. Mm. Um, and there's something really um, democracy sort of, uh, you know, democratic about it um, in that, you know, no one's surprised now if a naked three-year-old runs into my meetings. <laughs> and, well, and no one was surprised before, Andrew, you know? No, that's right. So there's, there's, no, there's no kind of, I think it's... it's we just become, hope it's your son, mate. That's all. <laughs> that's right, yeah. That's right. Why is he always naked? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've got a top on that, that yeah. you can be sure of. Um, yeah, there's just something because we're all... A, a friend, someone in my GC actually was... Um, talking about how, you know, you, you're looking into your CEOs and your, you know, top executives, uh, mm. you know, bedroom or, um, or study or wherever. Mm. So it's very, um, there's something very democratic about it. we're all humans with a life and with. Uh, yeah. It's like the playing field is leveled, right? Like it's, yeah. Um, yeah, we're all humans. We all poop. We all, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah we all need, all need toilet paper. Um, yeah. Yeah. we all need, and we all have kids that, that run in. So I, there's something nice about that, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I think also I, I found myself doing more music than I was doing before and, I, mm. and there's no good reason for that. I, I'm, what, what has changed except that I'm sort of, I've watched everything I want to watch on Netflix. Maybe that's all that's changed. Um, like I'm getting really energised to do creative stuff again and I think it's just that yearning to connect and to create and to do something that's not um, just um, the mundane. So. Yeah, there is there is an interesting energy shift almost. Like I'm not exactly sure what it is too, but you see, I mean, I'm doing this right now. You see there's like a yearning, a longing, like I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to do something different. And you're right. We have 24 hours in a day. Some things have shifted, but you see a lot more people and a lot more expressions of their freedoms getting taken away like your three-year-old son. And yet what happens out of that? There's something about humanity that we're, we're going to attach ourselves to, right, at that point? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that the freedom's taken away and how we respond. I found myself halfway through getting a little bit um, rebellious and feeling sort of, um, which is weird, right, because I was sort of um, early on, like we, we kind of pulled Josh out of daycare before that was um, when I thought, am I crazy? <laughs> and so mm. I was kind of a bit relieved that other people started taking this seriously because I'd heard some... Um, uh, I shared some conversations with some doctor friends of mine and sort of saw, the, um, you know, a bit like the doomsday preppers, saw this sort of <laughs> kind of thing on the horizon. And thought, you had your tinfoil hat in the right day, like you showed up. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's, yeah. there's the very fine line between um, the tinfoil hat people and the, you know, the, the people who are right. And that's, yeah. that's very, um, I don't know what to make of that, but that's sort of mm. funny. And then it's almost re a relief then when everyone else gets on board. So there's that sort of... Mm. Um, I don't have to explain to Josh why he can't be the one that plays on the play equipment that everyone else is. Yeah. Um, but then there's a point where you're telling, you know, you're telling me I can't go for a drive. Mm. Like, seriously? Like, yeah. you know, you who, you know, or, you know, the, the Prime Minister's lecturing us a week after he himself was at a football game. 
Yeah. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, you maniac? And then a week later, he's lecturing us. It's sort of this, this funny um, teenage rebellion thing. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of us are raging against those inconsistencies too, right? Yeah, like it's it so easy for us to spot inconsistencies. Um, and that might be a good point for us to actually like shift and segue. Um, I see a lot of people, uh, Christians, uh, oftentimes will point out the inconsistencies in each other's theology or in what you said but didn't back up and all of that. And um, I guess one, I'd love to know what the day job is for anyone that's viewing. Um, and then we'll kind of go into that, but I'm interested in some of your thoughts around what do you think is, uh, you know, the tall poppy syndrome in Christianity, actually. There's a, a lot of uh, pointing each other's flaws or inconsistencies. And, um, but I, I might park that just to get a, a little bit of a precursor to um, what's your day job, brother? How do we know each other? Some of that, some of that background. Yeah, so um, uh, I, I was an Anglican priest, and I still am, so that's sort of how we um, met, and I'm married to another Anglican priest. Um, so I haven't done anything dodgy. I haven't been kicked out yet. Um, <laughs> Good. But that's not sort of, um, yeah, so the, the story is, so I was um, uh, in, in ministry, and my wife got recruited down to Melbourne um, to, to be on the ministry team at um, a wonderful church, uh, which is where we met. Uh, each other yeah. and um, a little bit about a year and a half into that um, I did something that I, I said I'd never do which is I became an academic um, and that took me by surprise took Steph by surprise I had really no intention of being being that mm -hmm. um, so how did that happen I think um, I sort of started realizing that um, the supply chain for people who can handle the bible is it, we've got some issues. Um, and so we need to actually bolster up the supply chain. And that meant getting a bit further up the stream and actually teaching people to handle the Bible. Um, so I'm a, I'm a frustrated practitioner at the moment. I'm um, in, in the, uh, which I think you, you want your Bible college lecturer to be a frustrated practitioner. I think you don't want them to be sort of, Oh goody, I don't have to do any ministry anymore. Yeah. I'm just yeah. in, indoors. Um, so Let me yeah, my job let me let me stop you there for one second. Oh no, your job, and then let me yes, go on. Yeah. Oh, sure. So my my job is basically people come in in first year, day one, and I'm like, there's this thing called the Old Testament. You may have read it. Let's work our way through it and try not to get, um, you know, try try to not to to die on the way. Um, it's sort of the, you know, kind of basically a tour guide to a strange planet. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you can't travel anywhere anymore, but you can still read the Old Testament, which is as good as travelling to a strange country where the food's weird, the marriage customs are weird, they drive on the wrong side of the road, and yeah. you're like, what is this stupid place? Yeah. Um, and my job's sort of to help people to to get their bearings there and realise there's some things we might find challenging, but it's not a stupid place. Um, it's, it's a place we can learn a lot from. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, just... Uh, acknowledging that it is a different culture and a different custom and we read it with 2020 eyes oftentimes and so really approach VOT uh, with a challenging lens. Um, as a, so uh, we don't need to talk about where you're at or any of that, but you are um, a professor in that world. Being a professor, um, what's challenging about grading, I suppose? I'd be curious to know, because you know, you, I, I know from experience some, some peers of yours that have gone to your classes and things like that, and then you have you know, some sort of relationship um, what do you find hard about that process? And it's not like a, um, 
mathematics where it's like, look, you're the right or wrong. There's a subjectiveness to your grading and your curve. And so you as a person, you as a human, what's that process like for you? How do you go about it? What's good? What's uh, challenging? Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, being on the other side of that, I, I just, I just feel like it gives you a completely different perspective because mm. you, you know, that the students who I'm the most excited about aren't the ones that always get the best marks. So that's something that's interesting. Um, you know, the students who do fine, you know, do, you know, a solid, solid, solid score. Um, but they're, they're the ones that I really, I'm interested in talking about the Bible with. And it's just because you're, um, I think when you're a student, you, you, you see the mark as a grading of your worth um, as, a, as a person, as a whole. Whereas um, when I'm grading a paper, that's one important dimension of your education. Um, and so I would, I, I kind of, I put a lot more work into the, the feedback than the mark. Because, um, I mean, you need marks because that's sort of the, um, that's the currency of, of the degree. But um, I almost, sometimes I wish you could almost just sort of like give people a relative mark. Like, yeah, Dom, for you, <laughs> this was actually a really poor essay. For anyone else, it would be exceptional. But I know sure. that you can do better. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really agonise over it because I know how significant it is and probably too significant it was for me when I was a student. Mm. Um, and um, But it's also the thing that you grow the most through. So when you really get your kind of teeth into a topic and you mm. just learn more about that topic than anyone, um, man, that's exciting to read when someone's just, you can see they're wrestling through it. Mm. Um, and they're, they're, they're the papers that you want to you, you wanna write. And I, I still think I learned... You probably learn 30% um, through doing assignments. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're not, they're not just academic exercises. They're actually um, profoundly shaping. Um, and the disappointment that you get, that's, that's a character-building thing too. So maybe it's more than 30%. Well, tell me about that. You said an interesting word. And as I'm interviewing you, you said I agonized over that. And you said that was something when you were the, on the student side of things, maybe you know, you wrestled with and um, what did that look like to you? Why did you take it so seriously or what was the point of agony? What was the point of tension for you back then? Oh, it's very simple. If, you, if your identity is I'm a smart person and then someone says this is not a smart essay, there's a mm. dissonance there which, um, you know, is, is uh, yeah, it actually takes a long, a long time to be able to say, oh, okay, this is a bad essay but I'm not a bad person. Like that, that disconnect is... Um, uh, is it, it takes a long time. Well, it took me a long time. Maybe maybe you're much more godly than me, but um, a long yes, time. absolutely. No. Yeah, obviously. Sorry, I don't mean to, <laughs> to question. But it takes a long time to, to, to disentangle those things because so much of our worth and so much of our identity through schooling and through university is, is tied up in that. And then you, you come into a, a context where you're um, studying a text like the Bible, which is um, so much more than just a um, Shakespeare or something. Mm. Um, as important as that is, mm. and and suddenly it's it's deeply challenging. So I, I think that took me a while to sort of get um, my head around. Every time I thought I had actually got a hold on that, I'd then get a bad mark and realise that I hadn't. I'd just been getting good marks, um, and, and I think that's a, that's a good character thing to actually go. Well, you know what? I could have done better than this, but um, I was awake all night feeding a toddler, um, or comforting a toddler, or feeding a baby, or whatever. And that actually was the right thing to do. So actually, 
to, to get a, a, a 51% and still be a good dad is probably the best mark yeah. to, 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 you can get. And so that, that's actually hard. And only God sees all your things, right? So, like, life is about choosing who to disappoint. <laughs> and um, if the only person you're disappointing is your marker because you're kind of coming through for your family and through, you know, for your community and whatever it is, then you probably made the right call. So, but that you can't do that if your identity is in the in the work. Then you can't do that. You can't disentangle it, yeah. and you will. And that's where I think people drive towards overwork and towards obsession. Um, but especially yeah, anyway. in ministry as well, right? When you say that ministry yeah. practitioners have a very uh, driven personality in that regard, and a, and a yeah, and for different for different reasons, some people yes. are really driven by people, and so the reason why they can't. Um, turn off is because they, um, you know, that phone call you, I mean, I've been in this position where you're like, if I don't answer that phone call, what if that's the last phone call that that person makes yeah. before they, yeah. you know, just jump off the edge? Yeah. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to be kind of letting that person down yeah. um, because it's infinite. I, I think that the, the, the disconnect between our finiteness as people and our infinite goals um, you know, as a minister, you want you want everyone to be okay, mm. and and the people who aren't in your church, you want them to be okay. The people who aren't in your church, um, you want them to come to your church. The people who are in your church, you want them to be doing really well. like it's infinite, right? Yeah. And and unless you're a sociopath, you're going to feel that that weight. Yeah, um, and I think that's that. Yeah, that's why ministers burn themselves out. I'm I'm starting to kind of think a bit more about that as I move into training ministers, trying to kind of steal people in advance for that um so i don't know what you do so in, in if you're a a counselor uh, a straight counselor you're taught to um have a degree of professional distance mm. um, between yourself and your clients mm. um now i don't know about you, i don't know about you but i don't want to go to the church where the minister has a professional distance between yeah. you. well brother i had the opportunity privilege uh whatever word you want to use um <laughs> <laughs> or train wreck of being in biblical counseling for a year um, at said church. And so I worked in that ministry area. Of course, And yeah. one of the most significant things that I found was we were looking at, okay, we're we looking at secular practices in terms of exactly that, having space, having a guardedness. And then yet the church is meant to be the hands and feet of Christ at different moments in time at a given notice. And, you know, you get that pastoral call at 11 PM or whatever it is, or the suicidal, you know, all these things. And, um, the shutting offness was immense and intense. And I think in that as well, what I was examining for myself is um, growing up in a broken home and, and um, having broken relationships, uh, there's, uh, I think, a godly aspect to it, but also a, a broken sinful aspect where I'm like, I want to heal this person. So, you know, you're the smart guy or whatever, and you wrap your identity on that. I'm like, I, I want to heal this person. I want to be the, the source of their help and their, you know, and, and that can equally spiral out of control. Um, and it did for me, uh, especially I, I, I burned out in a very short time and had a really hard go with that um, in that area. And I understand that. Um, I'd love to pivot and move a little bit sideways. Um, thinking on this smart kid, tell me about high school. Was this a long standing, like what were you like in high school? What were you like as a kid? Did you wear that badge of I'm, I'm the smart kid for a while? Or just if, if that's not relevant, just tell me about high school, because I know that's an interesting time for many of us. But I became yeah, to know yeah. what was it like for you. Um, so I was in the nerd group. 
at high school. Um, and the sort of, uh, that won't surprise anyone. Although that, so I, I went to not a very good school to yeah. start with and did very badly. It was bullied quite badly. And, and this will be like, like obscenely funny, but um, it's because I was actually quite overweight. Um, and oh. <laughs> I just try, like, there's, I have one friend who remembers that. Yeah. Wow. And, and she's sort of like, she's my one witness that this is not just a made up sort of yeah. stage in my life. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, but yes, I went, it was not a very good school and they, they sort of never taught, um, you know, like other kids, I, I understand learned things like the times tables and stuff, whereas we just never, that was not apparently on the curriculum. So we just never did. Wow. Um, so I didn't think of myself as smart, although I, um, uh, I loved reading like science and technology books in the library and the librarian banned me at one point from like checking out more books because I was reading too many books. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I come to this new school and, and actually for the first time get encouragement in my writing. Um, my, it was a creative writing. I still remember the creative writing piece. This is you know going back 25 years or something. Um, and uh, wow, okay, actually I can I can do something. So it's amazing how how quickly your identity, in a healthy way, can change around. Um, actually, I'm good at this. Like people might actually want to read what I have to say and be creative. Um, so so that was a, a big um, thing at high school. Because um, I'm not I'm not good at sports. I'm you know, barely in control of my limbs at the best of times. Um, you know, not. Um, you know, that, but that was the thing. Okay, I can, I can do this. And then through church, actually, I got into music. So there, there was this kind of, um, uh, you know, to get through high school, you have to find a community and a, a people who just you get and they get you. And so music became really my my thing in later high school. Mm. Um, and and role models who aren't in your family. So, you know, I remember seeing this keyboard player at church um, who was absolutely still is a monster. Um you know, his fingers move faster than my ears can catch up kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so I want to play like him. So then I go away and do that thing of like um, I was into progressive metal at the time, um, <laughs> just yeah. like slowing down to like 25% of the uh, speed and learning the these these kind of pieces. Yeah. Um, and that, that becomes, that, that gets you through high school. So I think the um, mm. having him that music community, and also, you know, having, um, you know, realising that there's some areas of not maths, I couldn't do maths, I couldn't do anything, but English, like English literature, I could express myself creatively in words. Mm. Um, mm. And that, that became really, um, yeah, a fun thing to do at, at, at high school. Mm. Um, and then you, get to, then you get to uni and you don't have to do compulsory physical education or um, anything like that. But, yeah, you can just focus on the things you like and are good at yeah. and that's... That's sort of how where I ended up being yeah. a um, a poetry guy, but um, yeah, that that's sort of my high school. Like it wasn't particularly yeah. awful. Just yeah. Yeah. as for everyone, you're just finding your people and finding your your identity. And um, I was just grateful to have really great people to look up to within mm. the church, particularly, but also outside the church mm. um, to learn that. Yeah. If you weren't uh, a professor by day, what do you think you'd be doing? What other profession? Oh, I'd love, if ministry I'd love, didn't exist, I suppose. Yeah, okay. So two two options. Mm-hmm. So I think I do a bit of um, for a while. I worked as a um, as a piano player, and I really enjoyed that. Um, although, it, yeah, I don't know how how like whether there's sort of a diminishing return on the joy of that. Like there's um, 
I sort of love being able to play with the people I want, the music I want, and that's not the reality of um, <laughs> teaching or doing sessions. To yeah, be yeah, yeah. Um, making money, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of, you can have, yeah. um, a friend of mine says you can either have um, of the art, of the bread, and of the hang, you can have two of the three. Um, Say it again. So of the, the art, art. Yes. The, uh, the bread. Oh, the bread. The, yeah, got the, it, got it, got it. The yeah. pay. Yes. And, and the hang, like the people you're with. Yeah, okay. Choose two of the above. Um, it's just, and if you can get three, then maybe you're, you know, a genius. Yeah. Um, so I think that, well, actually I'm really, um, I've got no skills in this area, but I love the, um, the, the cat and mouse game of, um, internet security, like just the way that you have these really smart people trying to outsmart each other. I think that would just be fascinating, but I'm not, ah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not good at that. I don't know anything about it. I just in, like, just abstractly um it's just so interesting yeah so interesting they've just got these kind of like how can we anticipate you know all these attacks that might come yeah. on one side and then the other side how can we use this thing in a way they weren't anticipating i just i love that sort of it's like an ongoing drama which will never end anyway that's what i think i'd do if i that's awesome couldn't do my job that's awesome um i might try to natural back in the in the memories and the archives and the you know, some of the skeletons in the closet and you're okay to opt out, but a time in your life that you could erase for, for, for any reason, uh, mm. whether that be monetary, relationally, um, school-wise, church-wise, just something that you're like, look, when I, when I come home to see Jesus, that's one that I, I wish was just scrapped from me and it will be, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, did I, it depends how heavy you want to go. I, I, I once gave evidence in a trial of quite a serious, um, uh, thing, uh, which it, um, it wasn't about what had happened to me, but it was, I was giving witness uh, testimony against um, someone who'd done something quite similar to me. And um, the the time I'd erased is when on on appeal, the um, so that that day also was just awful. And I was technically I didn't have anywhere to really sleep that night, so I slept on my um, brother's. Just I, I wasn't homeless. I just kind of my uh, college residence had ended, and there was no kind of space for me to sleep. So, so that um, indignity, but then just giving evidence and being cross-examined is just, it's just the most awful experience I've ever had. Mm. Um, and, uh, and then on appeal being, um, yeah, I, I was an unreliable witness, Dom. I, um, I, was, I was lying. I mean, officially, according to the Supreme Court of New South Wales, I, oh. I am a, I'm a liar. Um, and, and what I said happened never happened. So... Um, wow. Was that found in court or is that something that you just take on and you take with you forever? Like what, what, what do you mean by that? So, yeah, so the, on, on the, um, the trial judge you know, agreed with the, um, the overwhelming testimony of the witnesses, which I was a very minor part, mind you. This is not, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on appeal, the, the um, appeal court, um, uh, yeah, decided that, so there's a judgment out there you can probably find which, which, says that I'm an unreliable witness wow. and that that does that does weird things to your brain man like that's um yeah that's having gone through that um the experience of giving evidence in court which is just like you, you've got to remember that the the um, defense lawyer is the smartest kid that anyone went to high school with mm. who spent their life trying to break people under oath yeah, yeah. right like they're really good at what they do and I, mm. I I think I did a good job of just um telling the truth Mm. Uh, which is one of the highest callings I think we can have is just to say the truth and, and yeah. nothing but the truth. Um, 
but then to have all that just you know not 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 um, not count for anything mm. um, that's you know it, it's really it gave me a really um, interesting appreciation for how judgment day can still be judgment day even if some people get off because um, it's not it's not about the um, the, the, the punishment, right? Justice is not just about punishment. Justice is about telling the truth and, and, and once and for all um, saying, no, 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 that, that, that did happen, mm. right? And, and that's, uh, I think, in a relationship, in any kind of context, you want to you be able to say the truth and, and have the truth clear. And in this world, like, what is the truth? You know, what is truth, mm. as mm. Pilate said? Mm-hmm. You, know, I mean, you kind of, mm-hmm. um, I can say one thing, you can say the other. You've mm. got... Um, someone in the White House who's made a career out of that, um, mm-hmm. just uh, speaking untruth. Um, yeah, to have that um, spoken. I don't think erased, but actually the, the opposite. It actually, uh, the mm-hmm. consolation there for me is to have the truth said um, mm-hmm. uh, finally about um, all of us. Now that's terrifying too, but that's another. Yeah. That's, something for, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. uh, something for another day. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I was I was interested to hear more, and I think you were kind of unpacking that a little bit. But you're you're wrestling with that moment, like what did coming to terms with the Lord then look like in that moment, and then what did He um, stir in you? Like to me, it would obviously conjure up you know uh, thoughts of justification and and what does that look like? But um, was there anything that was personal and relevant um, that that time would have? either brought you closer to Jesus, to your knees, um, or, or um, what did reconciliation look like with the Lord out of that moment for you in that process? Yeah, yeah, sure. Good question. I, I, don't, I don't remember any, anything other than just an appreciation for that role in judgment. So um, on the day that uh, the secret things are revealed, um, that, that's the, a key part of judgment day that I think we, we, we skip over. We want to know about the, well, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell bit. Mm. Um, and in fact, it, it's sort of the, the truth bit, um, the fact there's actually a truth telling element to Judgment Day, and that's part of Jesus's role because he knows what it's like to be falsely kind of maligned and, and he knows what it's like to be. Um, uh, it's very interesting that he was finally, he was finally crucified on, on trumped up charges. Like it wasn't enough that he just, they didn't like him and they killed him. He actually, there was an untruth told. Um, and, and and so I, I think there's a, a an appreciation then for his role in in, in bringing truth to justice, mm. um, yeah. And that that's one of the key qualities of you know Jesus, like he's, he's true, right? Like yeah. there's something yeah. uh, there's a consistency between um, the the reality and what he says, which is I think very refreshing. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's I, maybe I'm not remembering. Um, Maybe I should have had this conversation at the time to remember more, but... Um, no, that's okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. it. Yeah, I, I, I'll let you off the hook. That was, yeah, that was good. <laughs> sure. um, tell me about wisdom, brother. Like, I know, obviously, you need to be in your books and you need to be in several books and you need to be in the Word. And um, But the term wisdom is an interesting one that I think Christians will take in very different ways. What is your definition or quest for wisdom? Like, when I just say Andy Judd and wisdom, what is that? What does that conjure up for you in this moment and in this time? Too many things. Um, theology is about thinking multiple things at the same time without going mad. Um, so, um, 
yeah, it's 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 multivalent, right? So you've got um, I think of wisdom as just um, knowing what to do in a certain circumstance, um, practical wisdom, uh, the Greek word phrenesis, um, which is not stuff you've learnt off Wikipedia, but you know when you're in the hands of a very skilled operator and they know what to do in these circumstances, not because they've learnt it, but they just have that practical um, wisdom about them. So I think I think it's that, and that you see that in the um, the wisdom of Solomon, say, right? Mm-hmm. So um, interesting. A lot of the book of um, Proverbs, it's it's kind of collected like from different cultures, not even particularly kind of godly cultures, but it's just sort of, yep, I'll take that and I'll take that, and just seeing wisdom where it's to be found. So I think it's actually there's that broad sense of wisdom. Um, but then I think there's also a narrow sense of wisdom, which is um, it, it's one thing to know what to do when your um, bike tire blows or when you're having a fight with your spouse or whatever it is. But it's another thing to know what to do uh, with regard to spiritual things. And, and that sort of that, if that's not at the centre, then you can kind of go off the rails a bit. Yeah. Um, and so that, there's that, that wisdom with regard to spiritual things, which is mm. um, a, a sense of, uh, okay, well, the opposite would be, you know, I've got friends who are just like really into spiritual stuff but have no discernment. They're like, you know, listening to, oh, I, I heard this kind of this voice at one point and I summoned up my, my dead relative at this point and they're just like, man, that's not wise. Like you have these experiences but you're not processing them in a way that's discerning. Mm. Um, and so that's, you know, without wisdom, without that, you know, fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, um, you, you sort of are a bit at sea in that. So I think there's, there's two different um, meanings of the same word wonderfully, yeah. um, and you can have one without the other. Uh, you can be very mm. impractical as a person but very spiritually kind of um, wise. I think, I think that's what wisdom means. Um, yeah means to me, but I spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. So that's why you get an Old Testament answer. No, that's great. And, and I'd love to stay in the Old Testament for a little while. You, you mentioned how the Proverbs are a collection um, uh, for multiple cultures. And something I'm getting my head around and wrapping my head around, maybe for the first time, is that God, um, how do I want to say this? He didn't limit himself, but he used Israel in a time and in a state of being which was thousands of years ago. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, look, people will critique the Old Testament by saying like, well, why did God allow slavery? Like why? Like that's obviously wrong. But in some sense, God allowed for, to work through a people group in a time to get them from here to here in light of the ultimate ends of here. Is that fair? And would you say that as it relates to, um, I guess, so the critique would be, like the obvious critique would be, God's a mess in the Old Testament, right? Like this is a very, very brazen, very judgmental, very non-Christian, but like, look, you've got Jesus who's loving and the hippie and kind, and you've got God who's just like wrathful and telling these old people to do this and, and how can that be right and all of that. But I guess what I'm starting to reconcile or, or for me personally is wrapping my head around, well, he's taking Israel from here. His goal is to get him from here to here with the ultimate objective of here in mind, if that makes sense. Like, so slavery would be one of those things, right? Where it's like, look, it'd be revolutionary to say, treat your slave like this, as opposed to saying, completely abolish slavery. Hmm. Is that, and I I guess, 
Yeah, so I guess my question to you is, Mr. Old Testament in this moment, how, how do you um, teach and or reconcile that really ignorant um, assessment of God of the Old Testament and how he relates to Israel and what, what our modern eyes are supposed to see as it relates to that. And I know this could be a, a lecture of, you know, hours and hours, but what's your kind of like snap judgment? Like, you know, I would say this, you know, yeah, sure. think about that. Well, I just say, Don, be a good traveler. Like just, I just, that's all I, at the beginning of every, every class, every um, semester, I just, the, the one thing I ask is be a good traveler. Like there's nothing worse than if you go on a trip to an overseas country with a friend who's like, the second they're off the plane, the food here is stupid and they drive on the wrong side of the road and these places. But it may be that you come to a considered judgment of that culture. But it better be after years. It better not be in the first five minutes or you're just, you're just being an idiot. You're just being, you know, you're just being ignorant. Yeah. And it's the same when you're travelling back, you know, sometimes two and a half thousand years, sometimes more, um, you, you've just got to give people the courtesy that you would expect yourself to just dwell a little while in, in the scenario. Because, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll say two things. Firstly, um, if we wanted to know that God was trustworthy, for sure, we'd need to see him operating with real people in real time. Mm. And so, I mean, where would he choose, you know, that, that would be kind of this morally unblemished <laughs> people? Like yeah, if he yeah. came in the year 2020, then people in 2,000 years' time would be like, I can't believe God you know, had anything to do with capitalists. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, what, what, are you, what are you going to do? Like there's, there's, um, there's an there's a arrogance, um, which I, I detect in our um, reading of that, um, a sense that, you know, humanity's just been in a state of progress up to the current point. I, I, I you know, I think um, a friend of mine likes to say, you know, at least we have the courtesy of... Um, putting our slaves in sweatshops on the other side of the world where we can't see them. You know, that's how morally advanced we've become. Yeah. Um, good point. So I think that just, hmm. just a little, just dwell a little bit actually. Okay. And the other thing I'd say is have, have a look at the actual text. So, I mean, you, you pick the example of slavery. Yeah, sure. Says, says God, you can keep your slaves sort of, but here's some rules. Firstly, you're not allowed to have any slave trading. Okay. So slave trading is the death penalty in the old Testament. People don't really know that, but it's, it's death penalty. Secondly, so if you so if you sell a slave, you, you you're, you're dead. Secondly, um, every slave uh, earns their freedom after seven years. Flat rule. Right? The limit for slavery is seven years. Thirdly, at the end of that seven years, you have to give them a, a, a living to get them started with their own small business. Basically, you have to send them away with um, enough that they can get started. Um, fourthly, you're not allowed to treat them any less than yourself. So other other comparative ancient Near Eastern um, laws like the, the laws of Hammurabi, um, uh, other, you know, other kind of legislation from the same time from different cultures. Your life only is worth something if you're at the top of the tree. But in, in Israel, a slave is is a person, um, and so they they get a day off as well as the rest of us. Um, and and when you start saying, "Hang on," so you have to pay your slaves. It's for a set period of time. It's normally voluntary because you or you enter in because of debt, basically, to pay off a debt. And you can't mistreat them. I think I'm a slave. Like, if you've got a contract, yeah. <laughs> like, basically, God's just sort of helped them invent the, the system of, like, 
employment. You know, yeah. Employment, yeah. <laughs> at a time in which they're wandering around the desert and the options are either you're my biological son or you're my slave. Like they're the only, that's the labor hire agreement, right? Like the, you don't, yeah. you don't have um, the idea of a, a contract or a, you know, mm, an employee. Mm. You, you're either a slave or you're a son. Mm. Yeah. Hey, well done. <laughs> you know, like, like that was yeah. actually quite well done. And we know we know that the law of Israel was not the the ultimate. Right? The, mm. the, the people have this idea that the law of Israel was meant to be this gold standard. It wasn't. Mm. Jesus himself said that, that Moses gave the law of divorce because your hearts were hard. Yeah. God's a realist, you know. He's like, here's yeah. where I want you to be, yeah. but I'm going to need to teach you. Yeah. Um, and so if you can, if you if you just dwell a while and understand the context historically, mm. um, you understand what the options were, you know. Mm. You know, free all your slaves and let them die in the desert. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, you, you, you kind of actually start to say, hey, this is, the Old Testament is actually really good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, it's challenging because it's weird. Like it's yeah. just a different world to us. But yeah. when, you, when, you, when you slow down and just spend some time in that culture, now you may, people do, you may well decide at the end of a couple of years of sitting with it that you still think the food is stupid and that they drive on the wrong mm-hmm. side of the road and I want to go back to Australia. That's fine. But but at least spend some time just dwelling with it. And that's, that's, that's my passion is just to help people slow down a little bit. Yeah, that's good. In, in terms of passion, what makes someone in your profession good or not good or, or good to great? Uh, and you don't, you, know, you don't have to look sideways at your peers, but I'd be curious to know what do you think makes a good Bible professor and, and where have you seen that go, go south? Yeah, great question. I'll... Um, I mean, I've got models mm-hmm. and what I respect in, in them is a bunch of different things. But um, as a scholar, say, the, the ability to just understand the people you disagree with and maybe even express their view better than they can. Mm-hmm. Man, that's... So a, a, a very formal like experience. quantum thought. Yeah. So you're practising in quantum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Just, it's just next level, right? So... Yeah. I remember um, an experience I had with my grandfather who was a New Testament scholar and I went to him and I asked um, about a particularly kind of controversial issue in church theology at the time. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you, but here's, here's the two sides. And to this day, nobody has expressed either side better than he has. Mm. Right? So, like, to, mm. the, to this day, I have not mm. heard anyone express either side better. Mm. And so at the end of that, I was frustrated as a teenager. I'm like, well, come on, just tell me what I need to think. But he's, he refuses to do that because his mm. goal is, is not um, sort of to, uh, you know, indoctrinate you. Yeah. But his, his goal is to educate you and actually to. Um, yeah. So I think, I think just that ability to, to understand, you, you never really can disagree with someone until you really understand what they, they're saying. Yeah. I think in a scholarly way, that's, that's really, um, that makes a great scholar. Yeah, can I stop you right there as well? Because I think oh, that's an amazing point. And now I'm thinking you've you've preached from the pulpit and you've educated others. And in taking that stance, it sounds like a desire or a value would be like, look, here are the arguments, or or here's what theologians have thought and and open-handedly thought to educate. But then in a preach setting, or do you feel the temptation to say, This is where I land, whether it's in education or whether it's in uh, preaching and tell me how why you think those differ for yourself as an identity marker. You know, if you had to give a a thesis on 
let's just say uh, the sovereignty of God or a preach on the sovereignty of God, how, how would you approach that? Yeah, you're right. They are different genres. And I, I think you need to have integrity in, in both and not give certainty where there's ambiguity. I think that's really important. Um, but they are different genres. I remember one of the um, early sermons I did, having moved to being an uh, academic, uh, I came back and preached at Sea on a Hill and um, our, our pastor read my scriptures like, it's great, but you just need to tell us actually which option is the right one. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was obvious. So when you lay it out like that, I just thought, you know, obviously, yeah. Interesting, yeah. Option four. Um, but I think because of the genre, you know, people are there with their, you know, I'm there. I'm, I mean, most days I, I'm there with the kids on Sunday. They're kind of one of them screaming at any one time. I'm not really giving my full attention. And so I need to, I need you to hold my hand a little bit more and just, okay, here's where I'm going to end up. And if I want to follow up your logic sometime, then that's fine. But um, I think in the genre of the sermon, you, you do give a bit more of a, um, you know, you skip a bit to the end. And 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 don't give as much of your you know consideration because it's a it's a shorter term project for my Old Testament class I've got them for a year um, for a, a average sermon you're there for thirty five minutes yeah. um, so you sort of have to take responsibility to put the bits back in the box earlier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but with an integrity that you know so I've, I've preached on some controversial topics at church and I'd say look there are three or four views on here but but if you believe in the authority of scripture and you believe that God is good, um, then I, th- I think in all conscience, this is probably where you need to land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been encouraged and I think it's been a good thing by my, my pastor to um, actually have the boldness to say that and to be op- open to difference of opinion, but also just be have enough skin in the game to go, um, I know this is where I land. And I think um, having, I, but what's helpful is having been the, on the scholarly side of things, I know why you would land in the other place. Um, but let's just be very clear that that that's what you're committing yourself to. So uh, if you want to go down this line, um, it's not what the Bible says. So you actually have to abandon um, the doctrine of scripture. You have to abandon the belief that, that this isn't, this book is from God. Yeah. And that's fine. Like people do that, yeah. but um, I'm not prepared to do that. And so this is why I'm shepherding you this way. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think you've got to keep an openness there. And there's nothing, if I was as a teenager had had just um, people, um, not not permit room for doubt or questioning. I don't think I would have lasted. Um, so you, you leave an openness for questioning, but you just have a shorter time frame, I think, to to get people to be where you think probably they're going to end up. Yeah. Um, and then encourage them to come and study at Ridley College because that's um, that's where we can ask the questions in relative safety, and no one's gonna no one's gonna die. That's what that's a good thing about theology class. You sort of <laughs> the, the stakes are, it's a safe space for for yeah. exploring. Yeah. Maybe one more light one, one more heavy one, and we'll resolve. I thought my timer was going to go off, actually, but apparently my computer loves you and it did not go off at 40 minutes. Um, So a time where, because you're talking about the flack that you get for a preach by taking a stance, a time where you can remember taking a bit, copping a bit of heat from either a staff member, another pastor, someone in the congregation, uh, and... For the sake of, I mean, you can you can take that in which direction you like, but maybe a funny or maybe a time where I, wow, this, you know, really didn't connect in this way. But I'll leave it to you. A time where a critique came back and and it gave you pause or, or is still in the memory bank for some reason. I'll give you two. I'll give you a, a funny one. I'll give you a um, more recent series one. So funny one, I'm first sermon in a new church. The, the, the vicar gives me Genesis 17, the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. <laughs> 
Right. All right. Um, so appreciate. I just, I just, like, I like to make a smart ass joke if I if, if I have the opportunity. But I'm just, I'm playing this straight, man. This is just like, mm. I'm just new church. Mm. No, no funnies, no jokes. Just straight down the line. Anyway, I'm at like the 8 a.m. prayer book service, which is like the, the everyone's over the age of 90. And I'm halfway through explaining this deep covenantal theology of the, the sign of circumcision with Abraham. Yeah. And this old guy in the third row stands up uh, noisily, kind of oh, under his breath. <laughs> Far too many dicks in this sermon. And he walks out. <laughs> At that point, in the front row, and there's only 15 people in this sermon. Right? This is like yeah. In yeah. the front row, the three, um, the three widows down the front start giggling like schoolgirls. <laughs> And afterwards come up and, and want me to settle a bet for them. Um, they want me to go have a pastoral chat with a lad who left um, to find out if he was upset because he was or upset because he wasn't. Um, yeah, okay. In regards <laughs> to the covenant of circumcision. Um, yeah, that, was a, that, that was um, that's a awesome. memorable, Pete. Um, that was more recently. I, and it just and that's, I, sorry, really quick, let me pause right there. That's comedy, right? An unexpected scenario with an unexpected outcome. You're just like, I'm preaching to 15, 80-plus-year-olds yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I'm not expecting a dude to walk out with, at, a, at a dick joke or, you know. Yeah, totally. And it wasn't even remarkable. a dick joke. I was literally just talking about it in the most, like, <laughs> theological of terms. Yeah, yeah. They told true. me afterwards, yeah, I'm sorry about that, but I just, I already know all about them. Um, <laughs> I don't need to hear about dicks at church. Great. <laughs> Um, bless you, bless you, brother. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> the other one, more more recently, was um, I, I. I think it's a good like I've, it started me just really reconsidering how I use humor because mm. um, I, I really offended someone. And I didn't. I didn't even know that I would, and um, I certainly didn't mean to. But it was. I was sort of. Um, I was preaching on Revelation, and I was. I was talking about um, a. a a position on on the passage, which I think is both wrong and dangerous, but also I just didn't think anyone really in the church held to this position. So, um, in those circumstances, the I, I use humour to try to help people um, get to the end of the argument because if you can set it up as a joke and people laugh, then you know that they've internally they've resolved the tension. Um, so, humour to me is not a, a added um, just I want people to laugh because it's fun. Yeah. Um, the best humour is if you can see why this is funny, then you can see why there's a contradiction and why it can't be true. Mm. Um, so not not to mock but to actually help people understand is sort of my, my goal with humour. Mm. Um, but I, would, I don't think I would have done this if I knew this, someone in the room actually um, held this position quite dearly or, mm. or thought that I was talking about their position even if it wasn't actually their position exactly. Um, so yeah, I copped. I copped a, a very, very um, uh, upset email, and I, I was really blindsided by it because I, of all the things I say that I think will offend people, um, it's not the the, um, the joke that was at the expense of an idea which I didn't think anyone in the room held. Mm. Um, and I and I think if I had my time again, I'd probably um, I'd still go hard after it because I think it's a dangerous um, uh, a dangerous idea, but. Um, yeah, you know, obviously people don't generally join your side when you make them feel stupid and people mm. laugh at them. That's not a good um, good way. So, yeah, that was, that was a, a interesting bit of feedback. This, wow, I just didn't, I genuinely didn't know that anyone mm. in the room would take this personally. Mm. And that got me thinking, well, is it ever appropriate to use humour then because there might be someone? Anyway, I... Um, yeah. It, it or just pastorally, yeah, just how to, how to yeah. 
read the room and, and get that right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and is it, you know, oh, look, it was fine. They're godly people and I'm sure they yeah. forgive me or at least prayed for me. Um, but <laughs> That's yeah, right. it's, a, it's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, brother. Well, I, I'd love to resolve on this. Just um, a time in your life where Jesus was king or a moment of grace. Just anything that you can think of in your life that is, and it doesn't need to be, you know, it can be down the pipe and, and a straight Christian testimony answer, but just a, a moment of grace in your life. That's a great question. I need to, I need to like think a bit more carefully and find like some good examples of this, but um, I, yeah, too, I mean, too, too many examples, you know, like just when you think um, he's really given up on me this time, like I can't not even think of something specific now, just I'm bored of my sin here. <laughs> like do you ever just get really bored of yeah. your own like yeah kind of stuff it's like not even interesting sin yeah like even even satan's probably getting spit kind of over it yeah. um and and jesus just always always has more and i think that that's something you can know but it's a long way from your head to your heart there isn't it um and so i think just moments of grace just are new every morning when you just wake up and go oh yeah that wasn't a great day yesterday, but I think, you know, or it's normally just before you get up and preach and you think I'm going to give the most awful, hip- hypocritical, like ill-formed sermon, you know, because mm. the, the mind games go on before, you know, this is, this is rubbish. Mm. Um, and then someone's really struck or someone's really like you just, it's just very clear um, God is in charge of that, that preach and you you know, people, it's when people try to give you compliments about like, man, if you knew what the sermon sounded like <laughs> five seconds before I got up and gave it, you would, you would have been like encouraging me to go for my backup plan as a piano player. Um, but when, when God still chooses to use just pretty boringly, depressingly rubbish people um, mm. to do great things, that's really, that's really fun. That's really, um, yeah. that's a moment of grace. Wonderful. Andy, thanks so much, brother. It's been a pleasure doing this um, thanks, Tom. for what it's worth in the pastoral uh, sphere and in the pulpit. I was out on a fishing trip a couple weeks ago and they're like, who are your favorite preachers at City on a Hill? You would have been my fave. Uh, and so that's, you know, uh, you're not supposed to have favorites just like your children. But um, I, I love hearing you preach from the pulpit and I love the way you teach the Bible. And um, I love how you incorporate humor, at how that's an intentional thing. So uh, keep on, brother. I'm very Uh, blessed to know you and just thanks for this time tonight thanks tom i really appreciate it all right take care bye i'm gonna nail this well hey that's it for today guys i hope you enjoyed this interview Uh, if you did please help me promote i know you know how to do that like or share or subscribe or all those kind of clever things that people are talking about Um, but also if you have anyone that you think would be a good interview for this uh, podcast please do leave that in the comments down below let's close today with these words in hebrews chapter 10 Paul reminds us, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Until that day, guys, keep doing life together. Love you. Share this around. Bless you. Peace. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Pretty good.